What could the thing that was to happen to him be, after all, but just this thing that had begun to happen? Oh my goodness! Listen to the sentence. What could the thing that was to happen to him be, after all, but just the thing that had begun to happen? Her dying, her death, his consequent solitude—that was what he had figured as a beast in the jungle. That was what had been in the lap of the gods. He had had her word for it as he left her. What else on earth could she have meant? It wasn't the thing of a monstrous order, not a feat rare and distinguished, not a stroke of fortune that overwhelmed and immortalized. It had only a stamp of a common doom. But poor Marcia at this hour judged the common doom. Sufficient, it would serve his turn, and even as the consummation of indefinite waiting, he would bend his pride to accept it. He sat down on a bench in the twilight. He hadn't been a fool; something had been, as she had said, to come. Before he rose, indeed, it had quite struck him that the final fact really matched with the long avenue. Through which he had had to reach it, as sharing his suspense and as giving her all, giving her life to bring it to an end, she had come with him every step of the way. He had lived by her aid, and to leave her behind would be cruelly, damnably to miss her. What could be more overwhelming than that? Well, he was to know within the week. For though she kept him a while at bay, left him restless and wrenched during a series of days, on each of which he asked about her only again to have to turn away, she ended his trial by receiving him where she had always received him. Yet she had been brought out at some hazard into the presence of so many. Of the things that were consciously, vainly, half their past, and there was scant service left in the gentleness of her mere desire, all too visible, to check his obsession and wind up his long trouble. That was clearly what she wanted—the one thing more for her own peace, while she could still put out her hand. He was so affected by her state that, once seated by her chair, he was moved to let everything go. It was she herself, therefore, who brought him back, took up again before she dismissed him. Her last words of the other time. She showed how she wished to leave their business in order. I'm not sure you understood. You've nothing to wait for more. It has come. Oh, how he looked at her! Really, really, the thing that, as you said, was too. The thing that we began in our youth to watch for, face to face, with her once more. He believed her. It was a claim to which he had so objectively little to oppose. You mean that it has come as a positive, definite occurrence with a name and a date? Positive, definite. I don't know about the name, but oh, with a date. 
he found himself again too helplessly at sea. But calm in the night, calm and passed me by. May Bertram had her strange, faint smile. Oh no, it hasn't passed you by. But if I haven't been aware of it, and it hasn't touched me, ah, you're not being aware of it. And she seems to hesitate an instant to deal with this. You're not being aware of it. Is the strangeness in that strangeness? It's the wonder of the wonder. She spoke as with the softness almost of a sick child. Yet now, at last, at the end of all, with the perfect straightness. Of a seabull, she visibly knew that she knew, and the effect on him was of something coordinate, in its high character, with the law that had ruled him. It was the true voice of the law. So on her lips, would the law itself have sounded? It has touched you, she went on. It has done its office. It has made you all its own. So utterly without my knowing it. Mm, so utterly without your knowing it, his hands, as he leaned to her, was on arm of her chair, and dimly smiling always now, she placed her own on it. It's enough if I know it. Oh, he confusedly breathed, as she herself of a lay so often had done. What I long ago said is true. You will never know now, and I think you ought to be content. You've had it," said May Bertram. "But had what? Why, what was to have marked you out? The proof of your law. It has acted. I'm too glad," she then bravely added, "to have been able to see what it's not." He continued to attach his eyes to her, and with the sense that it was all beyond him, and that she was too, he would still have sharply challenged her hadn't he so felt it an abuse of her weakness to do more than take devoutly what she gave him, take it hushed, as to a revelation. If he did speak, it was out of the full knowledge of his loneliness to come. If you are glad of what it's not, it might then have been worse. She turned her eyes away. She looked straight before her, with which, after a moment, well, you know our fears. He wondered, it's something then we never feared. On this, slowly she turned to him. Did we ever dream, with all our dreams, that we should set and talk of it thus? He tried for a little to make out that they had, but it was as if their dreams, numberless enough, were in solution in some thick, cold mist through which thought lost itself. It might have been that we couldn't talk. Well, she did her best for him. Not from this side. This, you see, she said, is the other side. I think. Poor Marcher returned. That all sides are the same to me. Then, however, as she gently shook her head in correction, we mightn't, as it were, have got across to where we are. No, we are here. She made her weak emphasis, and much good does it do us. Was her friend's frank comment. It does us the good it can. It does us the good that it isn't here. It's past. 
"It's behind," said May Bartram. "Before," but her voice dropped. He had got up, not to tire her, but it was hard to combat his yearning. She, after all, told him nothing but that his light had failed, which he knew well enough without her. Before he blankly echoed, "Before you see, it was always to come." I kept it present. Oh, I don't care what comes now. Besides, Mother added, it seems to me I liked it better present, as you say, than I can like it absent with your absence. Oh my! And her pale hands made light of it. With the absence of everything, he had the dreadful sense of standing there before her for, as far as anything but this proved, this bottomless drop was concerned, the last time of their life. It rested on him with a weight he felt he could scarcely bear, and this weight, it apparently. Was that still pressed out what remained in him of speakable protest? I believe you. Bycom began to pretend I understand. Nothing for me is past. Nothing will pass till I pass myself, which I pray my stars may be as soon as possible. Say, however, he added, that I've eaten my cake as you contend till the last crumb. How can the thing I've never felt at all be the thing I was marked out to feel? She met him perhaps less directly, but she met him, unperturbed. You take your feelings for granted. You are to suffer your fate. That was not necessarily to know it. How in the world, when, what is such knowledge but suffering? She looked up at him a while in silence. No, you don't understand. I suffer," said John Mutcher. "Don't, don't. How can I help at least that? Don't," May Bertram repeated. She spoke it in a tone so special, in spite of her weakness, that he stared an instant, stared as if some light, hitherto hidden, had shimmered across his vision. Darkness again closed over it. But the gleam had already become for him an idea, because I haven't the rights. Don't know. Well, you needn't," she mercifully urged. "You needn't, for we shouldn't. Shouldn't? If he could, but know what she meant. No, it's too much. Too much?" he still asked, but with a mystification that was the next moment of a sudden to give way. Her words. If they meant something, affected him in this light, the light also of her wasted face as meaning all, and the sense of what knowledge had been for herself came over him with a rush which broke through into a question: "Is it of that then you're dying?" She but watched him gravely at first, as to see with this. Where he was, and she might have seen something or feared something that moved her sympathy. I would live for you still if I could. Her eyes closed for a little, as if withdrawn into herself. She were for a last time trying, but I can't," she said as she raised them again to take leave of him. She couldn't, indeed. As but too promptly and sharply appeared, 
and he had no vision of her after this. That was anything but darkness and dew. They had parted forever in that strange talk, access to her chamber of pain, rigidly guarded, was almost wholly forbidden him. He was feeling now, moreover, in the face of doctors, nurses, the two or three relatives attracted, doubtless, by the presumption of what she had to leave. How few were the rights! As they were called in such cases, that he had to put forward, and how old it might even seem that their intimacy shouldn't have given him more of them. The stupidest fourth cousin had more, even though she had been nothing in such a person's life. She had been a feature of features in his. For what else was it to have been so indispensable? Strange beyond saying, were the ways of existence, baffling for him, the anomaly of his lack, as he felt it to be of producible claim. A woman might have been, as it were, everything to him, and it might yet present him in no connection that any one seemed to hold to recognize. If this was the case in these closing weeks, it was the case more sharply on the occasion of the last offices rendered in the great grey London cemetery. To what had been mortal, to what had been precious in his friend. The concourse at her grave was not numerous, but he saw himself treated as scarcely more nearly concerned with it than if there had been a thousand others. He was, in short, from this moment face to face with the fact that he was to profit extraordinarily little by the interest the May Bartram had taken in him. He couldn't quite have said what he expected, but he hadn't surely expected this approach to a double provision. Not only had her interest failed him, but he seemed to feel himself unattended, and for reason he couldn't seize by the distinction, the dignity, the property, if nothing else, of the man markedly bereaved. It was as if, in the view of society, he had not been markedly bereaved, as if there still filled some sign or proof of it, and as if, nonetheless, his character could never be affirmed, nor the deficiency ever made up. There were moments, as the weeks went by, when he would have liked, by some almost aggressive act, to take his stand on the intimacy of his laws. In order that it might be questioned and his retort, to the relief of his spirit, so recorded, but the moments of an irritation more helpless followed fast on these, the moments during which, turning things over, with a good conscience but with a bare horizon, he found himself wondering if he oughtn't to have begun, so to speak. Further back, he found himself wondering, indeed, at many things, and this last speculation had others to keep it company. What could he have done after all in her lifetime without giving them both 
as it were, away. He couldn't have made known she was watching him, for that would have published the superstition of the beast. This was what closed his mouth now, now that the jungle had been thrashed to vacancy, and that the beast. Had stolen away. It sounded too foolish and too flat. The difference for him in this particular, the extinction, in his life of the elements of suspense, was such as, in fact, to surprise him. As not to be able to win back by an effort of thought the lost stuff of consciousness. What does that mean? Gosh, the sentences. Okay, let's do it again. It's long. So, it wasn't that he wanted. He argued for fairness that anything passed and done should repeat itself. Okay, it was only that he shouldn't, as an anticlimax. Have been taken sleeping so sound as not to be able to win back, by an effort of thought, the lost stuff of consciousness. <laughs> Do you know what that means? Anyway, just beautiful, beautiful senses. Okay, he declared to himself at moments that he would rather win it back or have done with consciousness forever. He made this idea his one motive in fine, made it so much his passion that none other to compare with it seemed ever to have touched him. The lost stuff of consciousness became thus for him as a strayed or stolen child to an unpeaceable father. He haunted it up and down, very much as if he were knocking at doors and inquiring of the police. This was the spirit in which inevitably he set himself to travel. He started on a journey that was to be as long as he could make it. It danced before him that, as the other side of the globe, couldn't possibly have less to say to him. It might, by a possibility of suggestion, have more. Before he quitted London, however, he made a. Pilgrimage to May Bartram's grave、um, took his way to it through the endless avenue of the grim suburb- suburban necropolis, sorted out in the wilderness of tombs. And though he had come but for the renewal of the act of farewell, found himself when he had at last stood by it, begilded into long intensities. He stood for an hour. Powerless to turn away, and yet powerless to penetrate the darkness of death, fixing with his eyes her inscribed name and date, beating his forehead against the fact of the secret he kept, drawing his breath while he waited, as if Sumpsons would in pity of him rise from the stones. He kneeled on the stones, however, in vain. Next chapter, chapter six. He stayed away after this for a year. Okay, cut and roll. He had not come back this time with the vanity. Okay, he has traveled. He had traveled the world, and now he had come back. Keep going. 
He had not come back this time. With the vanity of that question, his former worry, what, what, now practically so spent, yet he would nonetheless never again so cut himself off from the spot. He would come back to it every month, for if he did nothing else by its aid, he at least helped held up his head. It thus grew for him. In the oddest way, a positive resource. He carried out his idea of periodical returns, which took their place at last amongst the most inventories of his habits. What it all amounted to, oddly enough, was that in his finally so simplified world, this garden of death. Gave him the few square feet of earth on which he could still most live. It was as if being nothing anywhere else, for any one, nothing, even for himself, he were just everything here. And if not for crowd of witnesses, or indeed for any witness but John Mutcher, then by clear rights of the register that he could scan. Like an open page, the open page was a troop of his friends, and there were the facts of the past, there the truth of his life, there the backward reaches in which he could lose himself. He did this from time to time with such effect that he seemed to wander through the old years with his hand in the arms of a companion who was, in the most extraordinary manner, his other. His younger self, and to wander, which was more extraordinary yet, round and round, a third presence, not wandering she, but stationary still, whose eyes, turning with his revolution, never ceased to follow him, and whose seat was his point, so to speak, of orientation. Thus, in short, he settled to live. Feeding all on the sense that he once had lived, and dependent on it not alone for support but for an identity, cut and roll. Oh my God! Listen to this. This is like where do I even start? Whew! He was to live to believe this. I say, though he was not to live, I may not less definitely mention to do much else. We allow him at any rate the benefit of the conviction, struggling up for him at the end, that whatever might have happened or not happened, he would have come round of himself to the light. Oh,、well, now I actually understand. You have to read it out loud. Okay, cut and roll. This one is almost till the end. He met a stranger at the graveyard. Okay, so he was yet the next moment looking after it, as he went with envy. The most extraordinary thing that had happened to him, though he had given that name to other matters as well, took place after his immediate vague stare. As a consequence of this impression, the stranger passed, but the raw glare of his grave remained. Making our friend wonder in pity, what wrong, what would it express, what injury not to be healed, 
What had the man had to make him, by the loss of it, so bleed and yet live? Something, and this reached him, with a pen, that he, John Mutcher, hadn't the proof of which was preciously John Mutcher's arrayed end. No passion had ever touched him, for this was what passion meant. But where had his deep ravage? The extraordinary thing we speak of was the sudden rush of the result of this question, the sight that had just met his eyes named to him, as in letters of quick flame, something he had utterly, insanely missed, and what he had missed made these things a train of fire, made them mark themselves in an anguish of inward throbs. He had seen outside. Of his life, not learned it within the way a woman was mourned when she had been loved for herself. Such was the force of his conviction of the meaning of the stranger's face, which still flared for him as a smoky torch. It hadn't come to him the knowledge on the wings of experience. It had brushed him, jostled him. Upset him, jostled, <laughs> with the disrespect of chance, the insolence of accident. Now that the illumination had begun, however, it blazed to the zenith, and what he presently stood there gazing at was the sounded void of his life. He gazed. He drew breath in pain. He turned in his dismay, and turning, he had before him, in sharper incision than ever, the open page of his story. Cut and roll. The escape would have been to love her. Then, then he would have lived. She had lived. Who could say now with what passion, since she had loved him for himself, whereas he had never thought of her. Ah. How it hugely glared at him, but in the chill of his egotism, and the light of her youth, her spoken words came back to him. The chain stretched, and stretched. The beast had lurked indeed, and the beast at at its hour had sprung. It had sprung in that twilight of the cold April, when pale, ill, wasted, but all beautiful. And perhaps even then recoverable, she had risen from her chair to stand before him, and let him imaginably guess. It had sprung as he didn't guess. It had sprung as she hopelessly turned from him, and the mark, by the time he left her, had fallen where it was to fall. He had justified his fear and achieved his fate. He had failed with the last. Exactitude of all he was to fell off, and a moan now rose to his lips as he remembered she had prayed he mightn't know. This horror of waking, this was knowledge, knowledge under the breath of which the very tears in his eyes seemed to freeze. Through them, nonetheless, he tried to fix it and hold it. He kept it there before him, so that he might feel the pain. That at least belated and bitter had something of the taste of life.
but the bitterness suddenly sickened him, and it was as if horribly he saw, in the truth, in the cruelty of his image, what had been appointed and done. He saw the jungle of his life and saw the lurking beast. Then, while he looked, perceived it, as by a stern of the air, vice, huge and hideous, for the leap that was to settle him. His eyes darkened. It was closed, and instinctively turning, in his hallucination to avoid it, he flung himself face down on the troop.